I've been a DJ defender because I've seen him grow, but it's been small incremental growth. It hasn't been any kind of major step forward. Even last year when we had, he had what everybody called the breakout. And listen, he carried that team down the stretch last year. There's no other way around it. The problem with that is that DJ's growth has not only stopped this season, he's actually now regressing at a faster pace than he was progressing. <laughs> Hey there, and welcome into the Giants Wire podcast. It's great to have you with us. I'm Ryan O'Leary, joined as I am each week by Dan Benton, the managing editor of USA Today's Giants Wire. Support the pod for us by subscribing, sharing with a friend, leaving a review, all of that good stuff. Uh, Dan, how are you, my man? We have talked after some awful Giants games over the last three plus years doing the show, but this one on Monday night to the Seahawks, it's uh, it's way up there, man. Uh, this is as de- demoralized as I've seen the Giants players, the fans, you know, in that fourth quarter, leaving the stadium, all of it, people covering the team, I'm sure, like you and the, the staff at Giants Wire. Like, this is as down and demoralized as I've seen the whole crew right now, everybody. So with that, how are you, Dan? It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Like, when we were at the peak of the Joe Judge era, everybody kind of thought, well, can never possibly get worse than this, right? Well, Only up from there. I guess, the, I guess the joke was on us, wasn't it? I guess this so. This is as bad yeah. as it gets. This is well. I don't even want to say that because we've said that before and we found new bottoms. But this is this is pretty low. It's a it's a new low for the Giants organization over the past you know fifteen years, whatever it may be. Um, it's it's a low for the fans. It's a low for the people that cover the team. It's a low for the team. It's a, it's a low for everybody that's associated with the Giants. They're once again the absolute laughing stock of the NFL and. Unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like it's going to get any better anytime soon. It's it's only going to get worse from here. And, you know, for those of us that are connected to the Giants, the Giants themselves, you just got to kind of buckle down and, and understand that for the next, you know, two months, it's going to be it's going to be unpleasant. Yeah, it is, especially with the way the schedule set up for the next two weeks. And, and we'll talk about that here a little bit later. But uh, just give me like a lead off thought on the game, Dan, um, and where you're at with it. And I'll tee you up a little bit. I mean, obviously, DJ was hit 13 times. He was sacked 10 times. It seemed like he was expecting to get hit every time he dropped back. So that's not good. The Giants didn't have Andrew Thomas or Saquon Barkley. Obviously, that hurt them. They lost uh, They lost their center, JMS, with a shoulder injury. We'll also get into that that play, that injury, how that happened, I think, later on in the show. Uh, but you can't use those injuries as excuses anymore, right? Seattle had injuries on their offensive line, too. Both tackles were out. The Giants had an extended break. They're at home. There was a point in the game where Geno Smith is out and freaking Drew Locke, who is terrible, terrible. Drew Locke comes in and leads them right down the field. Like, at some point, you gotta you got to throw up your hands and say, I can't keep making excuses for everybody. The quarterback... The head coach. How many excuses can we make? There's no more excuses, period. Not for anybody. Not for anybody on the team. Not for anybody associated with this organization. When you hit rock bottom like the Giants did on Monday night, and it's a collective failure. When I say collective failure, I mean literally you can pinpoint everyone from the owner down to the water boy who has failed this organization, who has failed the fans, and who continue to fail week in and week out while they're still getting paid. That's just the reality of where the Giants are. So, no, there are no more excuses for this team. There are no more excuses for anybody associated with the organization. It's time for everyone to man up and accept responsibility for this absolute dog pile that is the New York Giants. All right. Well, that brings us to our lead topic for today. It comes off a text message I got from Dan after the ball game. Okay. Now, those who listen 
or, or know Dan or listen to the show on a regular basis, they, they know that no matter what the circumstances, Dan will go to bat for DJ, right? Uh, and since nothing upsets the majority of Giants fans more than positive takes on Daniel Jones, Dan, I have come to really enjoy listening to your takes on him, your defenses of him. I am actually, I've gone from, I've flipped over the years. I was like kind of anti-DJ at first. You got me to flip and now I'm a DJ defender. This is a direct quote from a text you sent me after the game. And this is actually on Tuesday morning. After you had a night to sleep this off, you said, quote, I think I might finally be out on DJ. For those that listen to the Giant, you know, read the Giants Wire, listen to the Giants Wire podcast, Dan, this is big time news. Please explain that text. I'll, I'll say it one more time. I think I might finally be out on DJ. Well, I'm just, I understand that the offensive line was a turnstile made of Swiss cheese on Monday night. Like there's no, there's no other way around that reality. Uh, and I understand that that's been the case predominantly throughout Daniel Jones' career. I don't know if it's accurate. I haven't been able to fact check it, but I saw a stat the other day that said that uh, DJ has never taken a single snap behind an offensive line that ranked better than 29th overall in the NFL. I don't know if that was the case in his rookie year, so I can't say for certain. But since his rookie year, that definitely is a fact. But at this point, it just doesn't matter. I've been a DJ defender because I've seen him grow, but it's been small incremental growth. It hasn't been any kind of major step forward. Even last year when we had, he had what everybody called the breakout. And listen, he carried that team down the stretch last year. There's no other way around it. The problem with that is that DJ's growth has not only stopped this season, he's actually now regressing at a faster pace than he was progressing. And what I mean by that is there were several instances on Monday night. And again, you know, listen, I'm not immune to the reality that the team around him failed. But Daniel Jones failed within that that same scenario himself. And there were certain plays that you can look at and, and look back on. His second interception is a perfect example where, you know, he double clutched and was waiting for, you know, Paris Campbell to get open. Paris Campbell never got open. He, he fell in behind the defender. He didn't finish out his route. There were other issues with Paris Campbell that we'll touch on in this game. But there was an opportunity for Daniel Jones to throw him open and at worst throw an incomplete pass in the area where a catch could have been made. That didn't happen. He didn't, he didn't have the, the anticipation, which has been a regular problem with Daniel Jones at times throughout his career. So that's one example where I kind of looked at it and said, not only is he not getting better, he's actively getting worse. And that's a serious problem. And maybe, listen, maybe the ghosts were in his head, but you've got to play within the situation that, that the team is in. Like, that's just, I don't know how else to phrase it. You, you've got to play within the circumstance. And at $160 million, like he, I, I felt after last year, he warranted the contract because you saw that growth and you kind of thought, all right, he's, he's finally going to get it going. Some of these weaknesses, he's going to turn into strengths that that's not happening. And that's a perfect example of it not happening. You've got to have the anticipation. You've got to have, be able to process what's happening on the field and fit that ball into where your receiver can go get it. And there've been several other times this year where I thought the same thing, like just throw the ball up and let your receiver go get it. You, he's had the opportunity to do that in several instances, and he hasn't done it. Now, in this instance, Paris Campbell may have been covered, but he still had the opportunity to not double clutch, first of all, and then put it into the area of the field where his receiver could have gone and made a play. Now, if the receiver doesn't go and make the play, that's fine. That's a whole different conversation. But not giving the opportunity for the receiver to make that play is the problem. And it wasn't the only time that that happened. 
there was another instance in the game where Jones just left a clean pocket. It was one of the few handful of clean pockets he actually had, but he took the snap and immediately flushed the pocket. He missed a wide open. And when I say wide open, I mean wide open. Wandale Robinson, who's literally jumping up and down and flailing his arms. And Jones somehow, even though he's looking right down the field at him, either chose not to throw the ball for some reason or simply didn't see him. Either way, these are issues that can't happen. And I'm not saying that every quarterback in the NFL doesn't miss open receivers. I know people like to pile on Jones when he misses an open receiver. All 32 quarterbacks do this when you watch the film. There is a reason why they have set progressions and how they sometimes miss the. That's a whole different debate. In this particular case, Jones flushed the pocket. He killed the play. He missed the wide open guy, and he cost him a down doing so. This team doesn't have enough margin for error that their highly paid quarterback, arguably the best player on their offense when Saquon's not out there and Thomas isn't out there, that he's missing these these things. He's not he's not going through his progressions properly. He's missing wide open receivers. He's not throwing his guys open. He's not giving anybody a chance. And the pick six is another perfect example of that. Now everything on that play went wrong. You know, he had pressure coming from the left side almost immediately. Uh, Paris Campbell didn't drop into, the, you know, the space that he was supposed to drop into. It doesn't matter. You know, you you look down there and there were other instances in this game where Jones did the exact same thing. It didn't get intercepted, but, you know, he threw it in a spot where he thought his receiver was supposed to be and his receiver wasn't there. You have to recognize that as a quarterback before you release that ball. And there were multiple instances, again, where Jones didn't do that. Now, one of them got returned for that pick six, and that was an immediate 14-point swing for the Giants. It was the nail in the coffin. The game was over at that point. His mistake there – now, again, there were multiple mistakes on that play, but his decision to throw that ball cost the team the win. And Daniel Jones doesn't have enough goodwill built, and he doesn't have enough career success built that he can make those kind of mistakes and continue to warrant the paycheck that he's receiving. And as much as I believe he still has a high ceiling – I'm to the point now where I realize that he's not going to be able to function in New York with this team in this system. It's never going to get the most out of him. That's whether that's fair or not. That's not for me to say, but the reality is we've seen the peak of Daniel Jones and that was at the end of last year. And the only chance he's got left in my opinion, to save his career at this point is to go play somewhere else. All right. Now I I can't sit here and, and passionately defend DJ because he was terrible in this game right this is one of the worst games we've seen him play Dan uh, and it's just really hard to defend him here but just to play the other side of it just a little bit uh, because I I hear what you're saying and a, and a lot of it makes sense Throw, not throwing guys open that's a big problem I, I totally get that and you could see the clips you know they're circulating of him not doing that but what's the one thing that kills a quarterback in the NFL the one thing that absolutely could kill any quarterback no matter how good you are I, I know where up. you're going. It's, it's I, getting sped yeah. up, right? Sped up. I, I totally get it. Yep. Totally get it. When totally understand. When you're sped it's, up it's and you think, when you think you're going to get hit on every play mentally, you, you're going to be sped up and you're going to leave a pocket that's clean and you're going to see ghosts. And it's just like, that's the part I sympathize with him. Like he's sped up. He's sped up. He's not processing the game correctly because he's just not in that. He's not at the equilibrium, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? When you're sped up as a quarterback, you're screwed, Dan. You have no chance. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I understand. I, I totally see it from that from that aspect of things. But there have been other instances throughout Jones's career and even this season where even though, you know, he's obviously taken a beating this year, particularly bad, 
but there have been other instances throughout his career where he has a clean pocket and still makes the same mistakes. You know, he's so deep into his career at this point that that's kind of where I'm beginning to fall off now. It's like, I don't care how sped up you're being. When you have the opportunities, you're making the same mistakes over and over again. Now, you can't, you can't become an elite quarterback or an elite player or an elite coach when you continue to make the same mistakes over and over again. Now, you can make all the arguments you want to about all of the things that are going wrong around him, and they're fair. But it's not at the point now where Daniel Jones is failing because of those around him. He's adding to the failure. And that's where I'm starting to get lost in the whole thing. There have been plenty of instances where he kind of cleaned things up and he was the tough, gritty guy that was making the plays and he was just playing through the problems and and things like that. But that's not the case right now. He is adding to the problems. And at $160 million, you sign that contract with the belief and confidence in yourself that you're going to continue to excel and not just clean up some of these issues that you've had, but to take another step forward in other areas. And unfortunately, he's just simply not doing that. And I understand that there's a product of, of you know, he's a, he's a victim of circumstance, essentially, in many aspects when it comes to this team, particularly the horrendous pass protection. But again, you can isolate those things out and then look at the opportunities that he has and realize that he's not taking, not only not taking advantage of them, but he's making poor decisions, poor throws, and just compounding the situation. And that's sort of where I feel like a lot of the critics and a lot of the doubters and even a lot of the supporters were suddenly like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I think that's kind of what they're seeing, and it's sort of the straw that broke the camel's back. This all kind of stems from how they're starting games, right? Minus 68 point differential in the first half now of games. Minus 68 through four weeks. That is an unbelievable stat. It's an unbelievable stat, and DJ plays a role in that. they got to start faster. They, they can't figure out how to score a touchdown in the first half. They're always down, and as Dayball said, I think on in his Monday presser or, or whatever, or Tuesday, guy, they're just teeing off. Defenses are teeing off in the second half of games because they have a lead, and the Giants can't block, and then it all stems from that. So DJ plays a role in them uh, getting outscored by 68 points in the first half, Danny has to. So, yeah, it's, uh, it's all the way around. Speaking of Dayball, uh, you, you talked about him, the aura around the team, something just feeling off. I mean, you say you're out on Daniel Jones. I'm close to being out on Dayball. I don't think he sucks. I don't think he should be fired at all. I'm not there. His attitude is just crappy. His body language on the sideline blows, man. It's just it's getting old. Like we all get, we all know, we're we're all pissed watching the game. We know, but dude, he's like he's acting like a child on the sideline, running around, and I don't know. I thought the the scene of him, you know, kind of throwing the tablet and pointing to. An open, I think it was what Darren Waller probably on that little corner route wide open in the end zone on the interception is probably what he was pointing to on the tablet. And he like makes sure he tosses it. It's like, what are you doing, Dayball? Like, you you doing that for the camera to show that you're mad at DJ? Like, we know you're pissed at him. We know he sucks. We know that play sucked. Like, isn't that one where you either bench him, put in the backup quarterback, and then do that in the film the next day? Like, do you do that on the sideline? You show up your players now? Why does Dayball seem like he hates his players all of a sudden, Dan? You know, there was almost like a charm to that when the Giants were winning, but it certainly does give up a whole different feel when they're losing. And, you know, the whole throw in the the iPad thing, you know, we've seen quarterbacks and we've seen coaches do that before, but you're right. That did just have a bad optic feel to it. It just, it kind of, 
encapsulates where the Giants are yeah. this season, actually. And, you know, what especially made me laugh about that is there were so many other throws in that game where that reaction was probably more warranted because the whole notion that Darren Waller was wide open on that play, I don't know where that narrative came from because I've watched that play from every angle. And he, listen, Jones probably should have thrown it in the back corner of the end zone again and let his his tight end go make a play for it. But the notion that he was wide open and Jones could have just dunked it over the defender's head to him is just false. It's just false. And I understand that people really want to pile on Jones. And again, I'm not here to defend him, obviously. <laughs> uh, but there are plenty other instances where you could nitpick what he did. And I'm not necessarily sure that not throwing the ball to Waller there is one of them. Not throwing it to the defender is certainly certainly one of them. But, you know, it's not like that was an easy, clean, wide-open touchdown like some people are suggesting, or even like Dayball apparently thought it was, because you can watch that play in, in all 22, and it's very clear that not only is there a defender glued to Waller as Jones is releasing that ball, there's a defensive back there that comes forward when Jones releases the ball and had he thrown it over his head, he obviously would have gone backwards. So technically Jones would have been throwing it into double coverage and then everybody would be whining about that. But it's sort of a no win situation and the reaction from Dayball, again, not, not a good optic look. This team is a disaster. He's lost complete control of it. I, I said it during the game and I'll say here, I, you know, it's days after the fact I've had time to think it over and I still feel the same way. This game Dayball's actions, Daniel Jones' play, the team being destroyed, the laughing stock that they've become, this is every bit the exact same thing that we dealt with during the Joe Judge era, period. It's the same exact thing. Yep, just minus the crazy press conferences. It is the same exact thing. <laughs> it's, but even even that, it's the same thing. Instead of, instead of you know, Judge being on repeat saying we have to go back and look at the film, it's Dayball on repeat saying well, we need to improve. We need to improve. We need to improve. Yeah, we got to get better. It's it's the same thing. It's different words, but it's the same exact thing that we saw under Joe Judge. And there were even instances in this game where, where Dayball calls back-to-back, you know, lame up you know, up the center runs, uh, they ran the same play 5,000 times and he was just clearing space for the punt. And, you know, listen, it wasn't back-to-back quarterback sneaks, but it was hardly any different than that. It was, it was essentially the same exact thing. You have no faith, understandably no faith in your offense. Um, but, you know, Dayball doesn't deserve a pass on that when Joe Judge was completely hammered for it. I understand that, you know, he brought the Giants to the playoffs last year and they picked up a playoff win, but, you know, the reality is, since the Giants started, what was it, six and one, six and two last year? They've won five games since then. Seems like a long time. And ago. they're getting completely blown out in their last five games, including their last playoff game last year. This this is not close. They're getting absolutely demolished by everybody. And not if not for a historic, a miracle comeback against you know the Arizona Cardinals. You know, we'd be talking about it. It would look even worse than it is. They've they played two good quarters of football this entire year, and that actually covers up so much of how bad this actually is that it's it's almost unbelievable. Yeah, uh, even with that half, the Giants are averaging 11.5 points per game on offense. That is an unbelievable number. They're allowing over 30 points on defense. Uh, the honeymoon phase, as uh, John Fennelly wrote on Giants Wire, Dan, definitely over for Dayball. Um and uh, we haven't even talked about the the push tush play yet. Um, I don't know if you have a thought on that. Uh, you know that. That's oh, the, I got plenty of thoughts on that. We lost John Michael Schmitz and Daniel Bellinger. So in a game where you couldn't block anyone, you lost your center on a play 
that I guess you're trying to be the Eagles and you're trying to do the play the Eagles do, but guys ended up getting hurt. And as you shared with me on uh, Twitter, Dan, uh, the Giants hadn't even, they'd only walked through that play. They hadn't really practiced it. So guys are getting injured because they probably weren't physically ready to, to go on that play. Right. And that's just another, just another little thing where the Giants just don't have it as buttoned up as we thought they did. You know, that, that that's what it, you go back to that, that line, the honeymoon phase is over, right? We just thought they had it buttoned up coming into the season. We were so optimistic and they don't, they don't have it buttoned up in that play. I think right there, the, the play where you lose two players, Bellinger and Schmitz on one play, two guys that are probably pretty important to you trying to block Seattle a little bit. I understand that the NFL rules are very specific and there's this whole push to not get players hurt in practice or the preseason. So it does sort of limit your opportunities to especially run certain plays and padded practices. The fact that they would rely so heavily on a play that they've never practiced in full before, like that is not a play that's going to translate when you practice it in a walkthrough compared to practicing it in padded practice. You can't practice that play in a walkthrough. You can't, it just can't. By the definition of the tush push, you cannot yeah. practice that accurately in a walkthrough. So I understand that the Giants used it earlier this year, and I believe they even converted on one. But the level of danger that you put your players in running that play when you've never practiced it before, forget everything else that happened on that play. That is a major, major coaching error, in my opinion. And it's bad enough that they didn't convert it. And I even remember earlier in the year when they did that, Daniel Jones got all twisted up, and I thought to myself, wow, he's lucky he's, he didn't get hurt on that play. Uh, so to lose your best blocking tight end and your starting center, it's just, you know, it's injury to insult is what it is. It's like you couldn't have possibly failed on that play more. And then admitting after the game that you've never even practiced it before, I thought maybe it would have been best to maybe not say that. You know what I mean? Like, it's bad enough that you went ahead and did it. Maybe not let the world know that you're like, ah, we never practiced it before, but know, we seriously. did it in a must-win game in a must-win situation. That, and then we got two of our, our best blockers, our only remaining solid blockers hurt. So it's just, it's just, again, another optic, another terrible optic all around for the Giants. Yeah. Yeah. And we know how the fans are feeling. I mean, there were more, more fans in the parking lot getting into their car than in the stands in the fourth quarter, um, basically the whole quarter to play. And we've seen, we've seen in the NFL, you don't, you don't usually leave with a fourth quarter left, right? But Giants fans knew, we all knew, we all knew that game was over. You got, you got walked over by a Seattle team. That's not really that good. Their defense isn't as good as they they looked against the Giants. Three points, three points against one of the worst defenses in the league, yeah. who were without several of their key players. Yeah, and again, Seattle had a patchwork offensive line as well, and the Giants couldn't couldn't do the same thing to Seattle. That's the difference. Yeah. That's coaching. Yep, that's that is coaching. So right to there. that to that point. I know fans are, are upset, Dan, obviously. We're, we're back to the Joe Judge era, as you said. It feels that way. How, how hot is Dayball's seat? Is it really warming, or is that just hot air out there? People talking about that. Well, I mean, listen, even I said he's, it's got to start to be warming. And when I say it's got to be start to warming, it's nowhere close to hot. It can't be. It just it can't be. The Giants cannot keep going through that cycle. They just uh, simply cannot. Agreed. But if this continues... There's no way that you could possibly say that oh, Dayball is completely safe because, you know, then the Giants kind of handcuffed themselves into a bad situation. Like, assume that it was Dayball who came before Judge and now it was Judge. You, you can't just keep saying, well, we've 
turned over so much that now we have to stick with the failure. So John Mara and Steve Tisch have put this team in, in arguably one of the worst spots that it's ever been in because the constant cycling of coaches is obviously not conducive to success. But on the opposite end of that spectrum, handcuffing yourself to a bad coaching staff is obviously not conducive to success either. Perhaps the Giants should have considered more than anything else not hiring rookie head coaches and maybe going with some experience because this cycle of new head coaches, top uh, top assistants being put into the head coaching position clearly has not worked and early indications are that it's not going to work again. And I know maybe it's too, some people are going to be like, oh, it's way too early to give up on Dayball. That's fine. That's fair. Maybe it is too early to give up on Dayball. But you can't possibly look at the second half of last season and through the first four weeks of this season and go, you know what, this is a really well-coached football team. Because if you do say that, you're lying to yourself and you're lying to everyone else because this is a horribly coached football team. Yep, I agree with that. I got a solution for you, Dan. How about Bill Belichick? Oh, geez. Don't walls, start with that. Walls crumbling around I, in Foxborough. <laughs> he'd, love to fit, he'd love to go beat Don Shula's wins record. Career wins with the Giants. Belichick oh, loves sure. the Giants. Loves yeah. them. I know he does. So he does. So we'll, we'll just put a pin in that one for later. Okay, we'll put a pin <laughs> in that one. All right. Bears uh, love Bill Belichick too. <laughs> oh, so. of course. Yeah, of course. Uh, so all right, Giants next two games are both on the road. That should be fun at Miami and then back in prime time against Buffalo. So we can just bury our head in our hands about these this stretch of two games. We're going to talk about that here coming up next. First, some Week Five fantasy advice from thehuddle.com. Corey Benini of TheHuddle.com here to bring you fantasy football strong plays for week number five. Quarterback Matthew Stafford, Los Angeles Rams versus Philadelphia Eagles. First of all, be sure to check on Stafford's status, but the hip bruise he suffered last week isn't expected to keep him out of action. While the Eagles certainly may force a turnover or two, this defense has given up the fifth most passing yards and third most aerial touchdowns thus far, and only a pair of passes have been intercepted. There's a strong chance LA has to pass all day long to keep up, and there's also an outside shot of Cooper Cup returning. Running back James Conner, Arizona Cardinals versus Cincinnati Bengals. Conner should shake off last week's letdown versus a stout San Francisco defense by facing a reeling Bengals coming to town. Only five teams have allowed more rushing yards than Cincinnati, and it's a neutrally ranked 18th in rushing touchdown efficiency against. The matchup is awful for pass-catching backs, but that really hasn't been Conner's role in 2023. On the ground, consider him a quality running back too. Wide receiver Wandale Robinson, New York Giants at Miami Dolphins. Robinson is about the only thing in this passing game worthy of some attention at this point, and it's really little more than a PPR concession for a handful of garbage time points, especially due to bye weeks, but that's strong enough to get him into some lineups. In his two games back from last year's ACL tear, the slot receivers managed to snare 9 of 11 targets, only for 61 yards, but he did rush another time for 7. Fortunately for the Giants, Miami's defense has only 10 sacks on the year, which is one fewer than Seattle tallied against New York last week alone. Tight end Dalton Schultz, Houston Texans at Atlanta Falcons. We finally saw some signs of life from the former Dallas Cowboy by locking his first touchdown as a Texan last Sunday, although it came on a halfback pass. Schultz remains somewhat risky given that three of his games with C.J. Stroud have resulted in lineup anchors for fantasy football purposes, and even the week four touchdown came on just three targets landed for 42 yards. Atlanta returns from a drubbing in London to present Schultz a stellar matchup. The Falcons are the second easiest opponent to exploit for receptions, number eight for yardage allowed, and the position has scored every other game so far. Expect Schultz to keep it going for a second week in a row. For more award-winning fantasy football news, tips, and advice, please be sure to check out thehuddle.com. 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, I didn't didn't play well enough. It was uh, unacceptable, and uh, I let the team down. So I've got to I've got to uh, fix it. I got to work hard to to uh, get it right, and I'm going to do that. There's our quarterback Daniel Jones after the game dejected. Dan, as down as I've seen him, uh, you know, you could say that about fans. You could say that about players. Anyone you're looking at at the sideline, it's just uh, that's what we've been talking about here. And now you go to Miami to face a team that everybody had on top of their power rankings before they got worked in, in Buffalo. But, uh, you know, that's a division game. It's you know, Buffalo knows Miami pretty well. Uh, Buffalo usually beats Miami. But we know that Buff- uh, Miami's a, a whole other animal, especially on offense with everything they're doing. They get their guys in space. They're hard to tackle, even if you're a good tackling defense. And right now the Giants um, are, I guess, the opposite of that. <laughs> they're the opposite yeah, of a good tackling defense. Is that fair to say? Definitely, yeah, definitely not a good tackling team. Let's just put it at that. So any uh, residual thoughts from some of the conversations we had in the first segment, or do you want to get on to Miami? There's, there's too much jumbled in my head to even – to even really pinpoint anything it, it it's baffling to me honestly truly in every every sense of the word that this team can be as bad as bad as they are like it, it just it's my it's mind-blowing it's mind-blowing and some of its coaching some of its effort some of its desire i, I don't know some of some of these guys maybe they just want paychecks i, I don't know but I, I was talking to somebody even before we started recording this show and it's it's remarkable in a sense that this team added what we thought was talented personnel, and yet they are actually worse at every single position on the field than they were during their hot start last season. And how they got to that point so quickly is just its just absolutely mind-blowing. And I think the tackling on the team is, is a perfect representation of that. And even more so after Wink, who, listen, I love Wink. I think Wink is is great. I think he's a brilliant defensive mind. Uh, I do believe that he was deserving of a head coach. He's probably not going to get that opportunity now. Neither is Catholic. Say goodbye to your head coaching opportunities. Those are gone now. Seriously. But, um, you know, the fact that his defense struggles so poorly with, with tackling is, is just mind boggling. When you look at the team, who they have, what they did last year, what they're doing now, again, they, they have completely, they completely regressed and every, every single aspect. And again, nothing, nothing is, you know, highlights that more other than maybe Daniel Jones's struggles, than the defensive, you know, the tackling issues on the defensive side of the ball and wink leading up to the game on Monday night said, and he challenged the reporters, well, chart every single tackle because we're not going to make those same mistakes again. And while I love the confidence that really came back to bite him in the rear end because those tackling issues very much continued. And, uh, it's just hard to believe how many tackles the Giants are missing. It's only eclipsed by how many pressures they're giving up. So it's sort of an amazing mishmash of, of failure and ineptitude for this team. Yep, you can't block and you can't tackle. That's a hard. It's a hard way to play football out there in the NFL. And then you got a team in Miami where I think the book is kind of written on Miami. Uh, you know, uh, Belichick and McDermott we're both able to hold down this juggernaut offense that Mike McDaniel has created. And, and I will say this, Mike McDaniel, good for the league. I think he's a, a very fun character. I like him. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, I, I like, like him. him. He's refreshing. Uh, I'm sick of the, you know, do your job. We just got to get better. The, that, the robotic stuff at, you know, Mike McDaniel is yeah. so refreshing. Like that, that's the, you see his, go ahead. It's, it's kind of not giants related, but did you see his comments the other day about how, uh, 
you know, he plays with Legos and managed to get somebody to marry some marry him. So he's doing pretty good in life. I mean, yeah, he's he's unbelievable. He's just he's a riot. He's, he's a riot. So like so Giants funny. fans, like those of you who like to get into the pregame stuff and hear what the opposing team's saying about you and what you're saying about you should check out Mike McDaniel's press conferences this week. Uh, maybe we'll play some sound next week after the game, you know, because he is just he's refreshing, man. And he, he is doing some cool stuff with the motion and all the different ways he's getting their their speed, you know, like this Devin Shane and Raheem Mostert and Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddle, Dan, and go down the list. They have speed all over the field. He's finding creative ways to get them the ball. Tua basically catches the ball and throws it. He doesn't hold it. It's it's out of his hands immediately. They get the it's they're short passes usually, but in space, and you have to tackle. Right? That's the book's been written. Belichick held them to twenty four points. McDermott held them to twenty. But what do you do? You stay back. You don't fall for the misdirection. You stay in your lane. You keep them in front of you, and you tackle, and then you play tough inside the twenties. That's how you beat Miami. Dan, how did the Giants replicate that that game play? That's what I wanted to ask you. Like, that's worrying to me. You can stay in your lane. You can not fall for the misdirection. You can try to keep them in front of you. But the way the Giants are competing on defense right now, oh boy! Like this is this has the making. This could be a, either a disaster or one where the Giants really kind of prove something. Right, finally. But it's hard well, to see the ladder. It's hard to see the ladder coming. I was going to say, don't don't hold your breath on that. So I, I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't have an honest answer, and I know that's that's kind of kind of like you're down on the team. Some people the wrong going to rub some people the wrong way and be like, how are you possibly having this podcast and you can't answer that question? <laughs> There's I don't no hope. Know. No hope. You you tell me. You tell me. Unless they magically decide that they're going to start tackling guys, and if they listen, if they we're going to do that on Monday night. When the whole world was crashing down on them for a lack of effort, and their coach and, and their head, you know, their assistant coach was their coordinator was out there on television throwing himself to the wolves in protection of them, guaranteeing that it was going to be different. And then they come out and listen. Granted, they played a lot better against Seattle than they have at any other point this season. There were certainly more high points than there were low points defensively. Uh, but the bottom line is they were still missing tackles all over the place. Um, so how are they going to combat that against a much faster, much more physical, much more talented Miami offense? I, I don't know. I genuinely do not know. Unless those guys go out there and suddenly decide that they're simply not going to miss tackles and they make every single one against slippery players like Tyreek Hill, good luck. I, I don't know how they're going to stop them. I genuinely don't. Uh, you know, Miami put up 70 earlier this year. They could very easily put up 60 plus again. Yeah, I don't disagree with that because when you when you go back to the Seattle game, I I agree it did look better in at times for the Giants defense stand, but you got to again, you got to factor in Seattle's <laughs> the injuries they have on their own offensive right, line. Of Geno Smith was banged up in that game, you know what I mean? Like so it's like you you came out of that game being like, man, they, the Giants got worked, but it could have been like imagine if that was a good team. <laughs> Seattle's not a good team. Imagine if that was a good team they were playing. It would have been even worse on uh, Monday night. So that's what get, that's what's got to freak you out about the the Dolphins and the Bills here yeah, coming I mean, up on, on deck. The hope is that Wink has got his defense turning in the right direction. The Giants have failed in every facet imaginable this season, and that included defense right up until, and and still including too the Seattle game because you know that Noah Fant fifty five yard catch and run whatever it was, was like brutal. There was like there was like four missed tackles on that, and like Drew locks in the game at that point too, which is even yeah. Worse. So I mean, listen, you can heap praise on the defense for making incremental improvement, but at this point, the only reason we do that is because we're grasping at straws. We we need anything positive to take away from this team. So 
when there is a small, tiny little sliver of positivity, it kind of gets overanalyzed and overused and, and kind of exaggerated in how good it was because the defense still wasn't good enough in that game against an offensive line that had four reserves in it, a backup quarterback at times. And let's just be honest with, with it too. Seattle took their foot well off the gas early in that game, just yep. like the fans did. So it's not like they were out there still trying to put it to the Giants. They just knew that they didn't have to do much because the offense simply wasn't going to score. So, you know, if you go into Miami and Miami doesn't take that same approach and they just feel like blowing your doors off, well, everything that we've seen this season so far indicates that they will absolutely blow the Giants' doors off. And if you look at it and you somehow have a more positive take on it, well, congratulations, you are very much a glass-half-full person, and I wish I could replicate that feeling right now, but I simply cannot. <laughs> well, the glass-half-full take is something that you've said many times on the podcast over the years, Dan, and it's that the Giants at times will play up to the level of competition, and we saw it a little bit against San Francisco, right? I mean, that was a tough spot Thursday night on the road. Nobody gave them a shot in that game, including us. But they were they were competitive for a little while. I know they ended up getting you know blown out at the end, and it was a multi-score loss, whatever. But there was times where they were competing with San Francisco a little bit, right? They they have risen up, and I think you know I happen to think Miami is overrated, wildly overrated. So I don't think Miami's as good as everybody's saying. I, they have great talent and a great scheme and all that, but a lot of it again is predicated on you losing your mind as a defense. If you're disciplined, like the Patriots and Bills were against them, again. Miami scored 24 against the Patriots, 20 against the Bills, okay? You can hold them down if you're disciplined on defense and you make tackles, okay? Uh, so could they, well, is there a the possibility yeah. they play up to their level of competition here, Dan? I mean, listen, Giants historically have done that. I'm not going to move off of that reality simply because I'm so pessimistic about the team right now. Is it possible? Sure it is. It's possible that <laughs> anything you know, is possible. Cash, I'm going to say it's possible that cash truck crashes in front of my house and I get away with a couple million dollars, but it's probably not going to happen. Probably not. But e even when you look back on the, you know, the teams that quote unquote stopped Miami, you know, against the Bills, Tua threw for almost 300 yards. The team rushed for almost 150 yards. Against, you know, New England, they rushed for almost 150 yards. Tua threw for 250 yards. It's not like the offense wasn't productive. It's no. just that the those teams managed to tackle when they needed to tackle right. and keep them out of the end zone, force field goal opportunities as opposed to touchdowns. Tough inside the now, 20. You can yeah. look, right. And, I mean, even in, even in the hold-them-down games, they were still scoring 20 points. What was the other one? 20, no, seven, 24, 24 points, 24, 24 yeah. points and 20 points. So that means you got to score Giants, 30. <laughs> I was going to say, can the Giants score 25 points? I don't think so. so. Absolutely not. Yeah. So, I mean, even, even, the, even in the most optimistic sense, when you look at it, like, oh, can the Giants hold the, you know, the Dolphins offense to just 400 yards of offense and 24 points? Like that's not going to get it done. For this Giants team, they're going to have to hold that high-powered Miami offense to 250 yards, and maybe if they're lucky, 16, 17 points to possibly only lose by three. So, you know, I just I don't see it coming, and and I know maybe I'm being far more pessimistic than I usually am, and not even giving the Giants the slightest chance to upset you know a team that's far superior to them. But you know, look up and down their roster, look up and down the Giants roster, watch the film. There's no reason to believe that the Giants can win this game. There's no reason to believe that the Giants can even 
compete in this game. Even if the Giants go out and do all things right, I don't necessarily believe that they can win this game because they're just not a talented team. And even some of the talent that they brought in, you look at Bobby Okereke. Yeah, he had 10 tackles last, you know, in the last game, but how many has he missed this season? Like he's got to be close to the league lead in missed tackles. And that includes on that Noah Fan 55-yard touchdown. Um, you got Paris Campbell, who was supposed to be the speedy guy that was going to change, help change the offense. Every time he touches the ball, he's going backwards. You got Darren Waller. Who, where is Darren Waller? Has anybody seen Darren Waller? Get the milk carton out there because this dude is nowhere to be seen. DJ so, isn't even looking for him anymore. Yeah, it's just it's just an absolute mess. So I, I can't possibly go into this game thinking that it's going to even be competitive. I just can't. And, you know, the history, the history of them playing up to the level of their opponents aside it would be a true miracle if they came out and won this game. And it's not just, it's not anything that I could possibly see happening. It would be, it would be the story of the season. <laughs> Unfortunately it would. Uh, I I'm seeing the spread. Talk of, about, you know how it would derail Miami if they lost this game? Oh geez. Yeah. So it, it, it's, it's hard to fathom Miami losing. I think the question is, can the giants stay with them? Can they, can they lose by, can they keep it within a score? Can they have a chance at the end? Right. The spread is 11 points. In Miami again, you got to factor in the heat too. You're, so you're dealing with all that, all the uh, the speed on Miami defensively. Dan, we talked about that defense being on the field a lot because the offense and and you know the struggles they have on offense, for the Giants. So their defense is on the field constantly. You're in the heat in Miami. You're 11 point dogs. None of this feels good for the Giants to even cover no. this spread, right? I, I I would say I would be on my I would lean Miami. And just listening to your commentary on the show today, Dan, I going to say i'm going to guess the great danton is uh is leaning miami as well <laughs> minus 11 oh absolutely the giants are going <laughs> to lose by 20 something yeah yeah like it's just like it's an easy bet i can't believe it's only 11 it's just it's just <laughs> that's just an easy bad. one it's just, it's just bad. it feels it feels easy maybe again maybe it's just a hangover from monday night maybe if i had an extra day to think about this i think maybe the giants only lose by 15 but you know it just just it just it doesn't look good. It's not. I would not take anything other than, than than Miami in this game, and I think they're gonna, you know, they're gonna clear the spread probably by a good amount. Unfortunately, I mean, you know, I know it's you know Miami only has ten sacks on the entire season, but it's very possible they double that in this game. So I don't think Andrew Thomas is going to be back. It sounds like he might be out a while. That he, Dayball didn't say it was a setback, but. You know, he went from day to day and practicing to week to week and not practicing. So you tell me if he's going to play on on uh, on Sunday. They signed Justin Pugh, but he's coming off a torn ACL. He's not going to be back. You know, he's not going to be able to play in time. Certainly not going to be in, in there to start in time. So the Giants are going to trot out another absolute disaster of an offensive line with Evan Neal being the, the quote-unquote best player on the line. And I don't know if you happen to see this or not. I don't recall if I sent it to you, but there was a play on, on Monday night against the Seahawks where he actually blocked his own guy, Darren Waller, in the back, <laughs> knocking him off his block while allowing the guy he was supposed to be blocking to have a clean shot on Daniel Jones. So that's the best offensive lineman the, the Giants are currently trotting out there. So, Are you sure that wasn't yeah. by design, Dan? That might have been a coaching, uh, you know, that might have been some, some X's and O's on the Giants side. They thought they could throw the Seahawks <sighs> off, no? Yeah, I... Well, you know, it didn't work. So, <laughs> <laughs> trying to find anything to laugh uh, about right now. Yeah, but I mean, it's just that's what I mean when I say it feels like Joe Judge again because that's the kind of stuff that you saw when Joe Judge was the head coach. The uh, offensive line blocking their own guy, knocking him off the man <laughs> he was blocking, and then allowing two guys to rush to the quarterback. I mean, the 
futility is just it's just overwhelming and unbelievable. So yeah, I'm sorry to pile on the pessimism, Giants fans, but I can't imagine that too many of you are feeling any better than I am about this. Well, yeah, Dan's in a very good mood about the Giants. Can you tell out there, folks listening? He's he's really feeling great about the team. Uh, how do you feel about some of the commentary? Let him know on Giants Wire. Uh, the crew, Dan, you guys are gonna you guys are gonna keep grinding their, your way through it, right? It's not fun covering the Giants right now, but you're gonna keep grinding. You know, we got a job, so <laughs> kind of have to do it. I, I I joke a little bit because let, let's just be honest, and we haven't talked about it much on the show. I'm not gonna go into any in depth at all, but. My summer was pretty miserable health-wise, and I remember sitting there thinking to myself, I can't wait to get back to work because it, pos- it can't possibly be worse than this. And that remains true. I'm still in a better situation than I was then, but boy, the Giants are really testing that theory, aren't they? <laughs> they are. They're a tough watch right now, but it's good for it's good for content. It's good for uh, it's good for us on our conversations, right? Would, would you really rather be the Bills, Dan, win 37-3 every week? Like, what do you even talk about? So this is you got we got to cherish no, I these would, times. I would rather do that. <laughs> like, I would rather do that. I'm just messing with you, man. I'm just messing with you. All right. So that's the that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. I sure did. Some vintage Dan Benton commentary right there. I can't wait to go listen to it back, Dan. That's some good stuff. Uh, but uh, so for Dan, I'm Ryan O'Leary. As always, thanks for joining us again. Hit subscribe. That's how you can uh, support us. Let people know about the show if you liked what you heard. And uh, we'll be back next week to talk Giants Dolphins. That one should be fun, Dan. Giants Dolphins breaking that one. Oh, down. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. We'll catch you all next week.